Section 19 of The Colonel's Dream This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut Section 19, Chapter 19 Time slipped rapidly by and the colonel had been in Clarendon a couple of months when he went home one afternoon, and not finding Phil and Peter, went around to the Treadwells as the most likely place to seek them. "'Henry,' said Miss Laura, "'Philip does not seem quite well today. There are dark circles under his eyes, and he has been coughing a little.' The colonel was startled. Had his growing absorption in other things led him to neglect his child? Phil needed a mother.' This dear, thoughtful woman, whom nature had made for motherhood, had seen things about his child that he, the child's father, had not perceived. To a mind like Colonel French's, this juxtaposition of a motherly heart and a motherless child seemed very pleasing. He dispatched a messenger on horseback immediately for Dr. Price. The colonel had made the doctor's acquaintance soon after coming to Clarendon and out of abundant precaution had engaged him to call once a week to see Phil. A physician of skill and experience, a gentleman by birth and breeding, a thoughtful student of men and manners, and a good storyteller, he had proved excellent company, and the colonel soon numbered him among his intimate friends. He had seen Phil a few days before, but it was yet several days before his next visit. Dr. Price owned a place in the country, several miles away, on the road to Mink Run, and thither the messenger went to find him. He was in his town office only at stated hours. The colonel was waiting at home, an hour later, when the doctor drove up to the gate with Ben Dudley in the shabby old buggy to which Ben sometimes drove his one good horse on his trips to town. "'I broke one of my buggy wheels going out home this morning,' explained the doctor, "'and had just sent it to the shop when your messenger came.' I would have ridden your horse back and let the man walk in, but Mr. Dudley fortunately came along and gave me a lift. He looked at Phil, left some tablets with directions for their use, and said that it was nothing serious, and the child would be all right in a day or two. What he needs, Colonel, at his age, is a woman's care. But for that matter, none of us ever get too old to need that. I'll have Tom hitch up and take you home, said the Colonel when the doctor had finished with Phil. "'Unless you'll stay for dinner.' "'No, thank you,' said the doctor. "'I'm much obliged, but I told my wife I'd be back to dinner. "'I'll just sit here and wait for young Dudley, who's going to call me in an hour. "'There's a fine mind, Colonel, that's never had a proper opportunity for development. "'If he'd had half the chance that your boy will, he would make his mark. "'Did you ever see his Uncle Malcolm?' The colonel described his visit to Mink Run, the scene on the piazza, the interview with Mr. Dudley, and Peter's story about the hidden treasure. "'Is the old man sane?' he asked. "'His mind is warped, undoubtedly,' said the doctor. "'But I'll leave it to you whether it was the result of an insane delusion or not, if you care to hear his story. "'Or perhaps you've heard it.' "'No, I have not,' returned the colonel. "'But I should like to hear it.' This was the story that the doctor told. When the last century had passed the halfway mark and had started upon its decline, 
the Dudleys had already owned land on Mink Run for a hundred years or more, and were one of the richest and most conspicuous families in the state. The first great man of the family, General Arthur Dudley, an ardent patriot, had won distinction in the War of Independence and held high place in the councils of the infant nation. His son became a distinguished jurist, whose name is still a synonym for legal learning and juridical wisdom. In Ralph Dudley, the son of Judge Dudley, and the immediate predecessor of the demented old man in whom now rested the title to the remnant of the estate, the family began to decline from its eminence. Ralph did not marry, but led a life of ease and pleasure, wasting what his friends thought rare gifts, and leaving his property to the management of his nephew Malcolm, the orphan son of a younger brother and his uncle's prospective heir. Malcolm Dudley proved so capable a manager that for year after year the large estate was left almost entirely in his charge, the owner looking to it merely for revenue to lead his own life in other places. The Civil War gave Ralph Dudley a career, not upon the field, for which he had no taste, but in administrative work, which suited his talents and imposed more arduous tasks than those of actual warfare. Valor was of small account without arms and ammunition. A commiserate might be improvised, but gunpowder must be manufactured or purchased. Ralph's nephew Malcolm kept bachelor's hall in the great house. The only women in the household were an old black cook and the housekeeper, known as Viney, a negro corruption of Lavinia, a tall, comely, young, light mulatress with a dash of Cherokee blood, which gave her straighter, blacker, and more glossy hair than most women of mixed race have, and perhaps a somewhat different temperamental endowment. Her duties were not onerous. Compared with the toiling field hands, she led an easy life. The household had been thus constituted for ten years and more, when Malcolm Dudley began paying court to a wealthy widow. This lady, a Mrs. Todd, was a war widow who had lost her husband in the early years of the struggle. War, while it took many lives, did not stop the currents of life, and weeping widows sometimes found consolation. Mrs. Todd was of Clarendon extraction, and had returned to the town to pass the period of her mourning. Men were scarce in those days, and Mrs. Todd was no longer young. Malcolm Dudley courted her, proposed marriage, and was accepted. He broke the news to his housekeeper by telling her to prepare the house for a mistress. It was not a pleasant task, but he was a resolute man. The woman had been in power too long to yield gracefully. Some passionate strain of the mixed blood in her veins broke out in a scene of hysterical violence. Her pleadings, remonstrances, rages were all in vain. Mrs. Todd was rich and he was poor. Should his uncle see fit to marry, always a possibility, he would have nothing. He would carry out his purpose. The day after this announcement, Viney went to town, sought out the object of Dudley's attentions, and told her something. Just what, no one but herself and the lady ever knew. When Dudley called in the evening, the widow refused to see him, and sent instead a curt note cancelling their engagement. Dudley went home puzzled and angry. On the way thither, 
a suspicion flashed into his mind. In the morning he made investigations, after which he rode round by the residence of his overseer. Returning to the house at noon, he ate his dinner in an ominous silence, which struck terror to the heart of the woman who waited on him, and had already repented of her temerity. When she would have addressed him, with a look he froze the words upon her lips. When he had eaten, he looked at his watch and ordered a boy to bring his horse round to the door. He waited until he saw his overseer coming toward the house, then sprang into the saddle and rode down the lane, passing the overseer with a nod. Ten minutes later Dudley galloped back up the lane and sprang from his panting horse. As he dashed up the steps he met the overseer coming out of the house. "'You have not—' "'I have, sir, and well. The she-devil bit my hand to the bone.' and would have stabbed me if I hadn't got the knife away from her. You'd better have the niggers look after her. She's shamming a fit. Dudley was remorseful, and finding Viney unconscious, sent hastily for a doctor. The woman has had a stroke, said the gentleman curtly, after an examination. Brought on by brutal treatment. By God, Dudley, I wouldn't have thought this of you. I own Negroes, but I treat them like human beings. And such a woman! I am ashamed of my own race. I swear I am. If we are whipped in this war and the slaves are freed as Lincoln threatens, it will be God's judgment. Many a man has been shot by Southern gentlemen for language less offensive, but Dudley's conscience made him meek as Moses. It was a mistake, he faltered and I shall discharge the overseer who did it. You had better shoot him, returned the doctor. He has no soul, and what is worse, no discrimination. Dudley gave orders that Viney should receive the best of care. Next day he found, behind the clock, where she had laid it, the letter which Ben Dudley, many years after, had read to Graciela on Mrs. Treadwell's piazza. It was dated the morning of the previous day. An hour later, he learned of the death of his uncle, who had been thrown from a fractious horse, not far from Mink Run, and had broken his neck in the fall. A hasty search of the premises did not disclose the concealed treasure. The secret lay in the mind of the stricken woman. As soon as Dudley learned that Viney had eaten and drunk, and was apparently conscious, he went to her bedside and took her limp hand in his own. "'I'm sorry, Viney.' "'Mighty sorry, I assure you. "'Martin went further than I intended, "'and I have discharged him for his brutality. "'You'll be sorry, Viney, "'to learn that your old master Ralph is dead. "'He was killed by an accident "'within ten miles of here. "'His body will be brought home today "'and buried tomorrow.' "'Dudley thought he detected in her expressionless face "'a shade of sorrow. "'Old Ralph, high liver and genial soul, had been so indulgent a master that his nephew suffered by the comparison. "'I found the letter he left with you,' he continued softly, "'and must take charge of the money immediately. "'Can you tell me where it is?' One side of Viney's face was perfectly inert, as the result of her disorder, and any movement of the other produced a slight distortion that spoiled the face as the index of the mind. But her eyes were not dimmed, 
and into their sombre depths there leaped a sudden fire only a momentary flash for almost instantly she closed her lids and when she opened them a moment later they exhibited no trace of emotion you will tell me where it is he repeated a request came awkwardly to his lips he was accustomed to command viney pointed to her mouth with her right hand which was not affected to be sure he said hastily you cannot speak not yet he reflected for a moment the times were unsettled should a wave of conflict sweep over clarendon the money might be found by the enemy should viney take a turn for the worse and die it would be impossible to learn anything from her at all there was another thought which had rapidly taken shape in his mind no one but viney knew that his uncle had been at mink run the estate had been seriously embarrassed by roger's extravagant patriotism following upon the heels of other and earlier extravagances the fifty thousand dollars would in part make good the loss as his uncle's heir he had at least a moral claim upon it and possession was nine points of the law is it in the house he asked she made a negative sign in the barn the same answer in the yard the garden the spring-house the quarters no question he could put brought a different answer dudley was puzzled the woman was in her right mind she was no liar of this servile vice at least she was free surely there was some mystery you saw my uncle he asked thoughtfully she nodded affirmatively and he had the money in gold yes he left it here yes positively do you know where he hid it she indicated that she did and pointed again to her silent tongue you mean that you must regain your speech before you can explain she nodded yes and then as if in pain turned her face away from him viney was carefully nursed the doctor came to see her regularly she was fed with dainty food and no expense was spared to effect her cure in due time she recovered from the paralytic stroke in all except the power of speech which did not seem to return all of dudley's attempts to learn from her the whereabouts of the money were equally futile she seemed willing enough but though she made the effort was never able to articulate and there was plainly some mystery about the hidden gold which only words could unravel if she could but write a few strokes of the pen would give him his heart's desire but alas viney may as well have been without hands for any use she could make of a pen slaves were not taught to read or write nor was viney one of the rare exceptions but dudley was a man of resource he would have her taught he employed a teacher for her a free colored man who knew the rudiments but viney handicapped by her loss of speech made wretched progress from whatever cause she manifested a remarkable stupidity while seemingly anxious to learn dudley himself took a hand in her instruction but with no better results and in the end the attempt to teach her was abandoned as hopeless years rolled by the fall of the confederacy left the slaves free and completed the ruin of the dudley estate 
part of the land went at ruinous prices to meet mortgages at ruinous rates part lay fallow given up to scrub oak and short-leaf pine merely enough was cultivated or let out on shares to negro tenants to provide a living for old malcolm and a few servants absorbed in dreams of the hidden gold and in the search for it he neglected his business and fell yet deeper into debt he worried himself into a lingering fever through which viney nursed him with every sign of devotion and from which he rose with his mind visibly weakened when the slaves were freed viney had manifested no desire to leave her old place after the tragic episode which had led to their mutual undoing there had been no relation between them but that of master and servant but some gloomy attraction or it may have been habit held her to the scene of her power and of her fall she had no kith or kin and her affliction separated her from the rest of mankind nor would dudley have been willing to let her go for in her lay the secret of the treasure and since all other traces of her ailment had disappeared so her speech might return the fruitless search was never relinquished and in time absorbed all of malcolm dudley's interest the crops were left to the servants who neglected them the yard had been dug over many times every foot of ground for rods around had been sounded with a pointed iron bar the house had suffered in the search no crack or cranny had been left unexplored the spaces between the walls beneath the floors under the hearths every possible hiding-place had been searched with little care for any resulting injury into this household ben dudley left alone in the world had come when a boy of fifteen he had no special turn for farming but such work as was done upon the old plantation was conducted under his supervision in the decaying old house on the neglected farm he had grown up in harmony with his surroundings the example of his old uncle wrecked in mind by a hopeless quest had never been brought home to him as a warning use had dulled its force he had never joined in the search except casually but the legend was in his mind unconsciously his standards of life grew around it some day he would be rich and in order to be sure of it he must remain with his uncle whose heir he was for the money was there without a doubt his great-uncle had hid the gold and left the letter ben had read it the neighbors knew the story or at least some vague version of it and for a time joined in the search surreptitiously as occasion offered and each on his own account it was the common understanding that old malcolm was mentally unbalanced the neighboring negroes with generous imagination fixed his mythical and elusive treasure at a million dollars not one of them had the faintest conception of the bulk or purchasing power of one million dollars in gold but when one builds a castle in the air why not make it lofty and spacious from this unwholesome atmosphere ben dudley found relief as he grew older in frequent visits to clarendon which invariably ended at the treadwells who were indeed distant relatives he had one good horse and in an hour or less could leave behind him the shabby old house falling into ruin the demented old man digging in the disordered yard 
the dumb old woman watching him from her inscrutable eyes and by a change as abrupt as that of coming from a dark room into the brightness of midday find himself in a lovely garden beside a beautiful girl whom he loved devotedly but who kept him on the ragged edge of an uncertainty that was stimulating enough but very wearing end of section nineteen recording by james k white chula vista